Hello, and welcome to the Adaptation Scale. This is the podcast with conversations about book-based movie adaptations. We have fun discussing and rating how closely the movie actually resembles the book. There's a book? I said I was taking notes. I'm actually interested in reading the book. (gasps) I know. You're like, I like this movie. Is there a book? It's not in the book. (laughs) It's that simple. Not there. Oh, it's bouncy, not flouncy. Oh, no. Spoiler alert if you haven't read or seen the movies. This is all spoiler alert. Welcome to the Adaptation Scale. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Drew. Howdy. First question. How are you feeling today? Good. (laughs) How are you feeling today? I'm very tired. Thanks for asking. You know why? Because the holidays are exhausting. Which leads us to the book slash movie that we are rating on the adaptation scale today. Today, we are rating... I don't know if we say we're rating Skipping Christmas on the adaptation scale. No, you go in with the book. Well, are we rating the movie? Because the movie's the adaptation, in which case we're rating Christmas with the Cranks on the adaptation scale. So how about you just introduce today's the book is this, and then I can go in, which you may also know as Christmas with the Cranks. I don't think this needs to be edited. I think this is gold right here. Recording podcast recording gold. (laughs) Coming in without a plan. Okay, so we are rating Christmas with the Cranks on the adaptation scale. And the movie, Christmas with the Cranks, is based on the book titled Skipping Christmas by John Grisham. Which threw me for a loop. Because A, I think that Christmas with the Cranks falls squarely in the there's a book for that category. And B, John Grisham is, in case you're as confused as I was, he's the client, the Pelican Brief. He's the guy that writes about the courtroom dramas. Yeah, serious, like, legit dramas that get made into movies. So I'm not sure where Skipping Christmas came from. If it was just like... I was shocked when you were like, no, it's John Grisham. I was like, no, this is not the same story. It can't be. (laughs) And you mean the same author? No, like, you're going to have Christmas with the Cranks, and then, what was this book called? Skipping Christmas. Skipping Christmas. It's going to be, like, two completely different things. So, in case you haven't seen Christmas with the Cranks, or read Skipping Christmas, the the gist of the story is that there's a couple, and their daughter moves out of their house and goes to Peru during Christmas time for about a year, so... They just decide once they realize how much they spend on the Christmas holidays, they're just going to skip Christmas and put that money towards them going on a fabulous cruise. Which, I gotta say... It's a good idea? Yes. (laughs) No, I... Yeah. I also have to say, um, if someone were to write a book about our holiday observance as a family, it would probably be titled skipping thanksgiving (laughs) for 12 years straight and i don't think 
We're sad about that. No. <laughs> I don't like turkey. I like smoked and Cajun fried turkey, and that is it. So what was your first exposure? Let's just refer to it as Christmas with the Cranks. What was your first exposure to Christmas with the Cranks? My first experience was the movie Christmas with the Cranks. Okay, and that was mine. I didn't know there was a book until a week ago. See, I will admit my five minutes of Google for this episode revolved around uh, finding this adaptation or the fact that this adaptation was an adaptation. Because... I was even more shocked to find out. It was John Grisham. <laughs> surprise upon surprise. Like he wrote a comedy? It was well done. I will say that. Now, the book, so Skipping Christmas, the book, came out in November of 2001. And I have to say, I got about two pages into the book before I had to flip over to the copyright page to see when it was released because the book opens with the Cranks. So we have Nora and Luther Crank escorting their daughter Blair to the, the, the gate. So they actually go to the gate. Now, there's probably... <laughs> a big portion of our audience that doesn't know that once upon a time, you could just go through security and go to the airport gates. Just hang out. <laughs> greet them as they walked off the plane. And watch the airplanes come in and come out. You didn't have to only sit on the parking garage roof to watch airplanes. Now, the movie Christmas with the Cranks was released on November 15th of 2004. It took me 100 30 minutes to read the book. So it was two hours and 10 minutes. I read it in two sittings over one day. The runtime of the movie was one hour and 40 minutes. I think, once again, we've run up against the typical adaptation pattern where, for some reason, they, the screenplay writers, decide to leave out a bunch of details from the book while at the same time adding additional plot lines. So the police officers, they're in the book and they're in the movie. Yes. In the book, do they go and pick up the daughter from the airport? Yes, they do. But they don't stop and... They don't have to stretch time. They don't have to delay time. Okay. So they're not driving. They're not coasting. No. In but... first gear. No. And catching a burglar. Everything. That they then bring back to the house... And then the neighbor kid lets into the house, who then breaks in, and then Marty... The, the last 30 minutes of the movie rate a one on the adaptation scale. Who's that guy? Who's this burglar? What is the point of this? So anything that has to do with the burglar... Not in the book. Not in the book. Okay. And even Enrique is a different character. He's not someone that Blair used to know. Blair's the daughter. Yeah, He's yeah. not someone... That she used to know and then she happened to run into. He's someone new that she met. He's from Peru. And, and it's he... been like a month. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Everything. I understand your opinionated head shake that you did there <laughs> about their relationship. Strong opinionated. Everything in the movie that is different than the book was done to get a reaction out of Tim Allen and 
Jamie Lee Curtis. Anything that they thought was funny, they cranked it up to 11 so that they could get a slapstick reaction out of it. I do think my favorite scene is after he gets the Botox and he's trying to eat the mandarin oranges. And everything just fall out of his mouth. And that was like pure Tim Allen. Yes. <laughs> that was my favorite scene. My favorite scene. Not in the book, though. Not in the book. Not in the book. My favorite scene is when (laughs) Nora goes to the grocery store to try to get the last honey ham, which I don't understand what kind of ham is in a can and it's not spam. I don't understand. But first of all, never in the book are they like, oh, Blair's favorite holiday meat is ham. Never. Nora's in the... The grocery store. The grocery store. There's a whole thing where she has finally gets the ham, and then she's walking out of the grocery store with her bag all happy, and the bag breaks, and the ham just rolls down the hill. And because it's in a can, it's just tumbling. And then the semi-truck. The semi-truck. Yeah obliterates it. <laughs> no! <laughs> yes, it's her laying on the ground, screaming like a child. Like a toddler. Out of frustration. <laughs> it's my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So I liked in the book how it was able to go into detail about Luther and Nora's relationship with almost all of the neighbors around them. Okay. So they were able to talk about Fro Myers, who was the unofficial leader of the community that was the one who had the idea to put the giant Santas on their roofs. Which... Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> yes, which I have to say, if we lived in a neighborhood that tried to man mandate anything on us that required time and physical labor we would not do it because from about february to october this is why we don't have an hoa i was gonna say from about february to october of every year the grass in our yard is over uh, 18 inches tall (laughs) that's a bit of an exaggeration it lays over (laughs) it eventually gets so tall it just lays down So I'm not sure that the crotchety old man in the movie that lives across him is actually an old man in the book. It seems more like him and Luther are closer to peers, and it sets up their rivalry as more of a unspoken rivalry. So they're both courteous to each other, but they both try to one-up each other. But they portray the the neighbor as someone who competes with everyone in, in, uh, okay. the, in the neighborhood. Gotcha. But I feel like that's also the point. I'm not sure. Okay. So when you watch the movie, as someone who's only seen the movie, what is what do you think is the, quote, like, point of the movie? Like, what are you, as the viewer, supposed to take away from the movie? If there's a good moral message from the movie, what do you think it is? I think they put a lot of emphasis on not being selfish like, I feel like that's the biggest, like, thing that's, like, emphasized throughout the movie. Because that's all they ever say is that, you know, you're just being selfish and not celebrating Christmas and not putting Frosty on your roof. And they complain about, you're not thinking of others, you're not giving to all these things, yeah. you're not, like, it's the spirit of well, everything. That's, yeah, because that's, that's one of the things. It's they're, They 
get the vacation for in the movie cheaper significantly cheaper than what they spent for Christmas the year before and then he's like no I'm not going to spend for these like charities even though he's only spending like half of what he spent the year before without that in order to make their very black and white point I think they had two purposes in taking everything to the extreme the first purpose was for the comedic effect of it and it Tim Allen and Jamie Lee Curtis are two very, like, physical comedy actors. She's very dramatic, like, with her facial expressions and, like, motions with it, too. Yes. Like, it's full body. It's not just standing stiff and then moving her face. Like I said, it was... They were the right choice for the screenplay that was written. Yeah. And I feel like they adapted anything that was funny in the book. They cranked it up. To 11? Yes. I already said that. I was trying not to say it again. (laughs) But, and the movie's funny because of that, and I can appreciate that. But at the same time, because they did that, I think the message of the book becomes very, also black and white, that as as the viewer, I watch it, and I'm able to condemn Luther and just say, well, he's crazy. Look at all these stuff. I would never be that extreme like poor Nora she just wants to like get along with everyone but also she wants to go on a cruise like she's also suffering oh poor Nora but Luther's crazy (laughs) but when I read the book that's not how I feel I read the book and I don't think Luther is extreme I understand I have some very strong Scrooge tendencies around giving (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the holidays. My time, my money, my resources. I understand that I need to live a little more open-handed than I do. I get that. So I did identify with Luther. But I think in the book, he isn't as extreme. And I almost wonder if the book is supposed to have you wrestling with that feeling of, well, but to what extent is he like justified the newspaper did report on them not celebrating christmas which is ridiculous and all the neighbors gave their two cents i we have discussed before it is hard to live differently than your neighbors yes if one of our neighbors came to us and we're like hey we're not celebrating christmas this year we would be like okay (laughs) why did you tell me that Instead of going over there demanding they put a frosty on their roof. <laughs> Just bring it out. We'll put it up for you. No. <laughs> I think there was also the message of, like, community. Yeah, because the community, they did rally Which is probably them. in the book. And that is in the book. The other thing that comes out in the book is the theme of comparison. So I feel like the book is much more great. Like, he he's trying not to... He's trying to pull out of this commercial Christmas, but then people are upset about it. Even in the in the book and the movie, the line is it's the same line, but it's said by a different person. When they say they're skipping out of Christmas, someone says to them, "Oh, it's probably because you don't have enough money." And they're like, "No, that is not it. We have we are doing fine. We have plenty of money." Like that's what they keep saying. Uh, we're yeah, fine. We're fine. Yeah, that was in the, the Christmas movie, tree. The, when they're the Boy Scouts come to sell the Christmas tree. Like, well, we had to go up, so it's $90 now. He's like, it's not about the money! Yeah, and then in the movie, the grouchy old neighbor 
makes the comment that it must be because he can't afford how he usually does Christmas. Yeah. But in the book, it's one of Nora's volunteer friends that makes the comment about money. I feel like the book is harder for me to draw that that line. It's like they're a mixed bag of motives and some of their motives were good and some of them were selfish and where do you draw the line and I don't know the book even and the movie both the book and the movie both end with this idea that maybe they'll skip Christmas next year because it's not a bad idea it's a fabulous (laughs) idea (laughs) all right I got some quotes for you you can tell me if this quote is from the book from the movie or from both of them. Abby is the salesperson from the Pumpkin Seed, which is the pretentious invitation store. I know who you're talking about now. <laughs> but in the movie, goes into the restaurant and is like, but you didn't do like these. Yes, and in the book, he only calls on the cell phone. But I understand how him being there in person is more visually interesting than... Especially when she's sitting around having the discussion with her friends. Yeah. Yes. It's during this time when Aubie's interrupting her and asking her if she's going to order her Christmas cards and the invitations for the Christmas party. Okay. And so Nora replies, we're not ordering cards this year. And Aubie says do what? And Nora says, you heard me. And Abby says, may I ask why not? And Nora says, you certainly may not. That's only in the book. Only in the book. Why? It's a little different in the, like, movie. Do you remember what she says in the movie? I don't remember specifically, but it's definitely not like we're not celebrating. I can't remember like, the exact so thing. It's not the- like, she's not very just direct and stuff like that. She's like, in the movie, she's to, flustered and she's like, yeah. oh, I have to go, I'm running late. And she yes. makes an excuse and runs away. I really respected in the book how she was just like, no. no. we're not doing it. Okay, second quote. The movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got it right. <laughs> the EMS has just gotten Luther off of his dangling situation from the roof. Okay. All right. And Frohmeyer's telling everyone to go get stuff for the Christmas party and they're going to throw a Christmas party for the cranks because Blair's coming back. Okay, and someone says, well, why should we help them? And Frohmeyer, Vic Frohmeyer, the neighborhood community leader, responds, (laughs) regardless of how you feel about Luther, I know a lot of you have mixed feelings about him now, but we're a community and people in a community stick together even if one of them has been behaving for most of the holiday season like a spoiled, selfish little baby. We're not doing this for him. We're doing this for Blair. I'm going to say that's in both. It's in the movie, but it's not EMS that gets him down off the rope. EMS doesn't do that. That's fire. That's what fire does. (laughs) It's only in the movie. It's not in the book. I haven't read the book, so... (laughs) Food is a 50-50 shot. <laughs> <laughs> so in the book, Frohmeyer doesn't have to defend Luther. He just says, do this, and everyone does it? Yes. Well, I think it's, we run up against the same thing we've seen, where the book is able to say what people are thinking, and the screenplay writers have to sit down and figure out, well, how are we going to convey this thought through dialogue? Yeah. 
And that's why he does the speech on the back of the ambulance. But in the book, he doesn't call him a selfish little baby. A spoiled selfish little baby. Yeah. Okay, I have another quote. Here we go. It's a gift from us to you. A sincere, heartfelt, no strings attached Christmas offering to two people who are, at this very moment, having a difficult time finding an excuse. That's for sure in the movie. I'm going to say that was probably pulled out of the book. It was exactly in the book because it's a heartfelt moment. So, of course, they took it word for word. Yep. (laughs) That was my guess. All right. Good job. Good job. So, I think we've reached the time to rate the Christmas with the Cranks movie, the adaptation of John Grisham's Skipping Christmas, on the adaptation scale. So, as a reminder, we have a 1 to 5 scale on the low end at a 1. We're saying that the movie was inspired by the book. So, it takes characters, some various plot points, themes, more or less, and it creates its own little story around those ideas. And on the high end, we have a 5 is based on... It is really close, really, really, really close to the book. So, again, we have catchphrases for each number to kind of guide us in our review. So, one, we say... Who's that guy? Who's that guy? Why is there a robber that shows up and goes to their Christmas party? We've never seen this in the book. As a two, our catchphrase is... From a certain point of view. Yeah, yeah. Luther has a little bit of angst and competition going on with all of his neighbors, but it doesn't seem to be quite this obsessive level that the movie is portraying it as. Hmm. If we have a three, our catchphrase is... Someone read the cliff notes. Okay, okay. There's the theme of selfishness. We see that throughout the movie, but they really get all of the themes? Maybe the Cliff Notes didn't do a good summary. What's going on here? As a four, we have... The author was on set. Alright, this is a pretty close retelling of the story. Like, it's fairly accurate to what happened in the book. I can see that. I can see that. And then, you know, maybe it's just a little bit different. They went to the go tanning at different times instead of together. But that was the that was the idea of what happened there. And then if we have a five, we're saying... Open your books. Follow along. Yeah, they took that speech word for word, didn't they? They did. <laughs> so, I know you haven't read the book, but judging from my reaction to various things while we were watching the movie and as we discussed, where do you think it might rate? I would say... Up to... I guess the point of everyone getting ready for the party and the police go pick up the daughter. It was at least a four. Everything was really close to what the book was saying. But then it changed probably to two from a certain point of view. I feel... and But then back to like the author was on set. (laughs) I feel like that's a pretty good assessment of it. I've been going back and forth thinking about this ever since I read the book because I read the first several chapters in a chunk and it felt like it was very close. But then, as I said before, the themes feel, everything just felt extreme. And and because it's extreme, you almost miss maybe some of what I got in the book. So I think I'm going to have to give the adaptation overall a three. Someone read the cliff notes. 
All right. Because, as you said, it was a mix of the author was on set and... It's kind of like you were reading the book and you got three quarters of the way through it. And then you were like, ah, there's just so much here. And then you read the cliff notes. Yeah. I almost... Which I almost wonder if just maybe adapting a book to a movie is harder than we think it is. Nah! (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to let us make a movie to even try? So if you could only recommend one version of the story, either the book Skipping Christmas by John Grisham or watching Christmas with the Cranks, which one would you recommend? I would say just watch the movie, but I haven't read the book. (laughs) See, the movie's an enjoyable watch, but if you're going to actually invest time in the story, I recommend the book. Okay. The movie's an enjoyable watch, unless you refer to Rotten Tomatoes. Is it Rotten Tomatoes? (laughs) Yeah! scored five percent on rotten tomatoes so maybe you should just go for the book everybody (laughs) so there you have it christmas with the cranks rates a three on the adaptation scale and someone read the cliff notes someone read the cliff notes and maybe we recommend just reading the actual book once again i think we have an author here like michael Crichton. i still don't Rebecca recommends reading the book. I recommend just stick with the movie. I feel like John Grisham is like Michael Crichton. At this point, as a society, we should just go, okay, maybe these guys know how to write an enjoyable book. That's probably correct. (laughs) All right. Well, I hope everyone has a very Merry Christmas. Bye. See ya. Thanks for listening to The Adaptation Scale with Drew and Rebecca. If you would, please go rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. Also, if you have a comment, a suggestion of a movie adaptation for us to look at, or if you want to leave your own hot take for us to listen to, you can leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash The Adaptation Scale. We would also love to interact with you over on our page on Instagram. You can find us at The Adaptation Scale. Say Merry! Merry! Christmas! (laughs) Merry Christmas!